Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Will Sharon. Now, Will has been a former teacher and counselor to troubled youth. He's been a C-suite executive on Wall Street. He's been an actor, and he is also a highly successful life and executive coach. Will is also the author of the new book, Dreaming in the 21st Century, an Ancient Experience in a New Context. Will, welcome to the Success Inside Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. And I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you are making a new life for yourself in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've heard it is absolutely gorgeous out there and can't help but be inspired, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I was a lifelong New Yorker. I lived on the island of Manhattan pretty much my entire life until my daughter started haranguing me about why didn't I go live somewhere else? It's interesting out here, the Santa Fe stories of how people get to Santa Fe. It was literally a conversation that went on for probably 45 minutes to an hour and the Santa Fe came up and I went on the website, I booked a flight, came out here. Six weeks later, I moved here. That's Fantastic. And I just moved out to Las Vegas myself. It was really a a chance conversation with a colleague of mine. And when my opportunity came, it, it was like, I'm in. How soon can I come out? Magical places, both of them. Magical places. You mentioned that you are have or have been a lifelong New Yorker. Tell us a little bit more about your background. I I provided, I know, just a a thread of this tapestry of the work that you've done, which is pretty amazing. So if you could just share with our audience a little bit more context of your background and how you got to where you are today. Well, I started out working in the children's unit at a place that was at that time called Manhattan State Hospital. It was a psychiatric hospital. And I had a bachelor's degree in English and absolutely no training. It's another Santa Fe story how I got there. But I thought I would spend two or three years at the most. I had a sense and still being by my father that you sort of owed something for living in this country and I wasn't going to be drafted. So that turned into 13 years. And during that time, I got a master's degree in clinical social work and I began working as a therapist at the Veterans Administration Clinic. And that's really where I, I began to start working with dreams. And in a very much traditional clinical setting, I was part of an institute, all like under supervision, that kind of thing. And then after 13 years, I spent about two or three years looking around to see what I might want to do. And that's sort of, I guess, where you, you start describing the tapestry of my life. I was in law school for a year and a half until I realized I didn't want to argue with people for a, lot, for a career. And I was an actor. I acted on soap operas for probably about a year, supported myself doing that. And then by accident, again, I got involved in technology and technology on Wall Street. What's interesting is that the skills of social work were very much required in those days in terms of integrating technology because it was about organizing people, really, and and getting them to understand a new environment. In any event, fast forward to kind of the end of my corporate career and... I was too young to retire, and health insurance is very expensive, so I thought, what's the best way to stay healthy? I became a professional trainer, certified trainer in New York City. That was really the beginning of me getting back into the kind of work you and I do, which because I was starting to get people back into their bodies, and when you do that, all kinds of stuff comes up. I looked at recertifying my master's, and my life feels like it's been a series of accidents. That was going to take me another two years to get the certification back. And a friend of mine said, don't do that. Become a coach. So I will now admit to all your listeners, I had no idea what a coach was. I heard of a coach. (laughs) 
Um, but nine months seemed like a better deal than two years. So I enrolled in a coaching program. And it really, I mean, obviously changed, totally changed the way I think about this kind of work. And fundamentally, we're talking about the difference between starting from the problem. We used to actually call it the presenting problem. What's the patient's presenting problem? And then you work the problem, which turns out to take years, right? And coaching is 180 degrees different. Coaching is what's your agenda? What do you want? Right, right. Let's get what you want, right? I started, you know, when, you, when you're in, when you're getting certified, you're obviously doing a lot of peer work. And I started thinking about dreams because one of the things we say is that we see people as naturally whole, creative, and resourceful, right? Right. Well, whole is 24 hours. It's not 16. That's a good point, by the way. Very good point. Yeah. And so we have this experience of dreaming. If you look at the neuroscience, and I'm not steeped in neuroscience at all, but if you look at the neuroscience, there is brain activity every single night that is associated with dreaming. And so what I keep saying to people is, look, we need to sort of reframe this experience. First of all, it's an ordinary experience. It comes with the package. It's like running and jumping and skipping and speaking and hearing and you dream, right? Now, what's interesting about your dreams is, first of all, they happen to you. You don't sign up for them. And so when they happen to you, they basically take your ego or your cognition pretty much out of the picture. They're your imagination. They're your imagination talking to you without your ego. Because when your ego gets involved in your imagination, then you have a fantasy, right? You're directing your imagination. So I started literally when I was getting certified, you know, <laughs> working with my peers, whether they wanted to or not. Well, of course they wanted to, but it was something new. Then I, once I got certified, someone I met said, well, what would it take you to teach other coaches? And as I am wont to do, I said, six weeks. I don't know, right? So I began teaching. I, I teach an ICF certified class. And it has really sort of evolved in my own thinking about this conversation that's useful for us to have between our dream state and our cognitive state. And I can talk to you more about how I think dreams inform that conversation. But let me pause there and, and talk about something you would ask me just before we started. Because on my business card, you know, it says coach MSW Anamkara. And you asked me, what's Anamkara, right? Well, Anamkara is Gaelic and it translates soul friend. And it turns out that the Celts thousands of years ago believed that everybody should have a soul friend who actually saw past your personality into the essence of who you were and stayed with you your entire life to remind you of that. Because what happens in this business? We get people coming in and they're not happy about what's going on. And usually it's because they have gotten themselves into a situation that they thought they were supposed to do rather than what they actually really want to do. And that can be a career, that can be a relationship, it doesn't really matter. Because we have these structures in society that tell us how we're supposed to behave. And we have this imagination in ourselves that says, well, okay, but this is who I am. This is what I want to be, right? And that usually is the subject of the coaching. So the idea of Anamkara, of being able to see who someone is and hang on to that and remind them of that as they tell me through their dreams who they are. I mean, I'm not telling them, they're telling me, and I'm just saying, this is what you're telling me. I'm not making it up. You are. That's the concept. Do we each have our own version of Anamkara? Or is that Anamkara isn't, every, isn't everyone having their, their soul companion, so to speak? Well, the soul companion is an external person to you, right? It is someone who 
sees you. Now, can we all be Anamkara? Yes, the world would be a much better place if we all were Anamkara. If we all had relationships or even a relationship where we really saw the essence of who the other person was rather than what we decided we wanted them to be. That's where we get in trouble a lot in relationships when we decide, well, this is what I want you to be. I don't care who you are. Right. <laughs> That's kind of a problem. It's very interesting to me that the Kells kind of had this coaching thing figured out a couple thousand years ago, you know? They were pretty amazing <laughs> with the knowledge they had. You had mentioned something very early on in your early days within the social, I believe it was in the social work and the work at the, the VA about, you brought up dreams then, and then you right. went on to live the work that you were doing and you, you then came back to the dreams. How are those dreams from your life back in the social work area how is that different, or is it different, maybe it's not, than the dreams that you are speaking about today? Well, I think the model that I was working in as a therapist required me to, quote, interpret a dream. Well, what is interpretation? Interpretation amounts in the world that we operate in now, in the coaching world, that amounts to advice. You're telling me what your experience is, and I'm telling you what it means, right? I'm giving you advice which is, again, one of the reasons it takes a very long time in that model, right? What I was doing in those days was I was seeing the dream as a series of symbols. I was seeing the dream as a way of kind of manifesting what the, quote, problem was. So what happens now? What happens now in my own dreams, as well as the dreams that people tell me, is that the container to look at them is basically saying, okay, what you're doing here is you're showing yourself how you're organizing your experience. Because a lot of dreams are uncomfortable, right? You're frustrated. You can't figure out where you are. Sometimes you have a nightmare. I mean, you look at this stuff and you go, how can that be helpful? That feels lousy, right? But what's happening is you're showing yourself what you expect with the question, is this how you want to organize your experience? The reason you dream about this stuff is because you're ready to, to move on. You're ready to change that. So I just did a video today about a young woman who, you know, is moving forward in a career as an artist and, and a musician. So what does she have? She has a dream about her expectations of men. Well, her expectations of men, based on growing up in this culture, are not great, right? So what she's saying to herself, she's saying, you know what? This is not okay anymore. I can't be an artist and have these expectations of my partners or the men in my life. I need different expectations. They, they may or may not live up to them. They may or may not take the invitation. But that's not my problem. My problem is I don't expect anything better, except now my dream is telling me, hey, wait a minute. You can't be the artist you want to be unless you're the woman you want to be, which means you got to expect something different from these guys. Right. So that's most of the work that I do around dreams. There are other kinds of dreams, but most dreams are really showing you a belief system you're ready to outgrow. You know, it's interesting as I have been thinking about dreams since knowing you and I were going to have this conversation. And so many of the dreams that I remember stem from aspects of my life as a, uh, I did a lot of photography growing up and I have dreams about running out of film because in the days of being a photographer we used film god forbid you ran out of film and 
And then where am I going to go to get the film? And somewhere in that dream, all of a sudden reality kicks in. Howard, it's a dream. You know, you're not at a wedding taking pictures. Then it was graduate school. Did I pass the last exam? Did I really get my degree? Then in the consulting world, am I late to get to the airport? I've got an international flight and I'm late. Flight's going to leave in a half hour and I haven't even packed yet. So those, those, Dreams all had the same thread of being late for something. But it was really interesting today. I didn't have that kind of dream. I had a dream where I ended up hugging somebody today, a woman today. I thought, well, how cool is that? <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, you know, I might, for the folks that are listening, I, I have my video on and, you know, Will has his nice smiling mug, which you'll see in our banners. But I have this beautiful sunset and the glow from, I was in the Mojave Desert and it was just very peaceful to be there underneath the stars and just to really be in an area that I finally had, had a chance to visit. And it was like this hugging today and that dream was, it was refreshing that it was different. And uh, so I'm not asking, by the way, for free coaching right now, but I just, I was starting to think about the types of dreams that I have. And Well, let me just say something about that because, you know, I mentioned interpretation, right? So we don't want to do that. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we animate the situation. What do we do as coaches, right? Somebody comes in and they had a fight with their boss and blah, blah, blah. And so we start asking a bunch of questions. We, we give dimension to that experience, right? It, 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 and, and they begin to get insight. Oh, yeah, right. That's what happened. Okay. So what we do, if we're not going to interpret a dream, what are we going to do with it? We're going to animate it. And then we're going to say to the client, you know what? Go back to that dream. Go back to that dream like it was a conversation that you really enjoyed having and experience it again two or three times before we talk again. So for you, I would say in your day over the next week, go back to that dream with that hug because it's going to inform you. Other things are going to come up as a result. I'm assuming it's also a physical experience, that dream, mm -hmm. right? Not just up in your head. It's like it feels. Yeah. And so when you sit in that and you allow it to inform you because... One of the things that got this woman, I, there was a time for a couple of years, I did all these ICF webinars, you know, you go to chapters and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. So this woman in Scandinavia sent me these books, it's called MBIT, Multiple Brain Integration Technique. What do these guys do? They looked at the structure of the brain and they said, okay, here's like six features, cell types and chemical reactions and blah, blah, blah. They said, wonder if there's anywhere else in the body that has this. Well, it turns out they discovered you have it in your heart, these structures, you have it in your gut. And they said when they wrote the book, we're going to leave it in multiple because we don't know, there might be more. And since then, they've discovered that you have them in your genitalia and in your skin, touch, okay? So if you use that sort of as a metaphor, you are informed in many different ways as a human being. You have all kinds of brains in your body. And your dream world informs those brains. It speaks in a different language, okay? It doesn't, doesn't speak in the language that we're talking in now. We're making sense with each other, right? Cognition is not relevant to most of the brains in your body. Cognition is not relevant to your dreams. And the problem with interpretation is you extract meaning from the dream, you throw the dream away. You have the meaning, right? So for you, we don't want to know what the hug means. We want to know how it informs you over the next week when you go back into that dream and allow yourself to experience it, right? Because it's yours. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. Nobody's going to tell you what it means. You're going to be informed by it. That's the difference between what I'm calling dreaming in the 21st century 
or in the coaching world versus the therapy world. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm curious then, as you started to embark on the coach training and the subject of dreams became more of a prominent aspect of, of the work that you are choosing to do and how you are training and helping others get informed by the power of these dreams. When did this idea of this book, Dreaming in the 21st Century, when did it start to percolate for you? And is it for other coaches? Is it for the you know myself as a layman who's looking to resolve issues that I'm hoping to resolve? I'm, lo- I'm looking for hope. I mean, we, we come to a coach beca- in some ways because we have a problem, an issue, and we're looking for hope. How did the book come about then? First of all, let me just say it's it's written for everybody. I mean, if I did a if I did a good job, it's written for everybody, and it's it's 174 pages. I wrote it to be read, you know, and the chapters are three to five pages long. The idea behind the book, because we're not doing dream interpretation, right? I'm not trying to tell mm-hmm. people what to do with their dreams. I'm trying to give them some ideas about how to understand the experience. Okay, and in doing that, we kind of have to look at well, how do we get where we are? The language that we use around dreams is, is the analytic therapeutic model. So let me answer the other part of your question and then give you an example. <laughs> it's always usually a, a signal to me when people tell me I should do something and I'm fervently against doing it. So people have been saying to me for about a year, you should write a book. And I'm like, you go write a book. I'm not <laughs> writing a book. <laughs> writing a book's a big pain in the neck. Um, But by then, I had done about 40 of these videos on my YouTube channel. And I thought to myself, well, I I can't really ask people to sit down and watch 40 videos. I mean, they can if they want to, but it really was time. I had accumulated enough sort of information that it kind of made writing the book a lot easier. I sort of organized it better, you know, because I do a video when an idea comes up, right? If you started at the first video and went to the last one, you'd be confused. It's like it's not organized well. But the book really sort of organized it in that way. So let me give you an example of an idea that I'm trying to get across. So I start teaching this class, right? It was called Dream Work for Coaches. And I noticed that we're all thrown around these terms unconscious and subconscious. And I'm thinking to myself, not saying it out loud, I'm thinking, God, I don't know what the difference is. I should know, right? I was a therapist. What's the difference between subconscious and I don't know, right? So I looked it up. Well, it turns out that there's a guy named Pierre Genet, who I'd never heard of, who came up with the term subconscious. And when you read his definition, it sounds like he's conflating consciousness with cognition, because he's saying underneath the critical thought functions of the conscious mind, that's what he says, lies a powerful awareness he called the subconscious. Okay, well, sub is less. So he's saying, we got this thing as less conscious. Fine. So Freud is a contemporary of his, and Freud thinks actually that's great. And a couple of years go by, and Janet stands up at a conference in 1913 and says, you know, this guy Freud keeps taking my ideas and renaming them and calling them his own. And shortly after that, Freud said, forget subconscious, it's unconscious. And he had a totally different definition. So we're stuck with these two words that fracture our sense of consciousness, right? Sub means less, un means not. We got less conscious and not conscious. And it makes this part of our experience, I think, less accessible. You kind of need somebody to help you with something that you is not conscious, I guess. I don't know what it is. So what I'm suggesting is maybe we ought to set those ideas aside. I mean, they've served a purpose, but they may not be useful anymore. 
we're conscious beings. The difference among us, I think, is how aware we are of our consciousness. And if you want to be aware of your consciousness, man, that's a life's work. And you're never going to get there. That's the great thing about it. You're just going to learn more and more and more and more because your consciousness is vast. That's an example of the kinds of ideas that I'm suggesting to people so that this ordinary experience literally can be repatriated to our lives, everybody's. We all do it. We can all write our dreams down. We can all tell our dreams to people. Is the book, as you said, it's for everybody, whether you're a coach or whether you're the executive, the the, the person taking care of the house. I'm not going to be sexist by saying housewife. <laughs> <laughs> but is there a process or a method to get us started down this path of becoming more aware that, that you or are using the case studies but by the way, I do want to acknowledge you used your podcast and your video to write the book, right. which is, to me, that's the only way to write a book. <laughs> is you, I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's how I did mine. Uh-huh. And, and, and when, when you're asked to do something that you don't want to do, it shows up in my gut. That's my, my brain, my gut brain. It's basically saying, I shouldn't do something and I just have to learn to listen to it more often, but um, I digress there. Um, What is there um, maybe a rudimentary recipe for the reader to begin to explore how to go about increasing their awareness? Yeah, I think there's two things. First of all, and the first chapter of the book is, you know, or first or second, I guess the second chapter is how do you remember your dreams, right? Well, the real question to me is what are you trying to remember? Because you can go through all kinds of gyrations about, you know, pen and pad by your bed and all this stuff. But what are you trying to remember? You're trying to remember what Jung would call half a conversation. That's what you're trying to remember. And that conversation, that half is a story. If you think about it, our dreams are really the prototype for all literature because they're stories. They got characters and locations and emotions and all that kind of stuff. So you're trying to remember a story. The critical thing, it seems to me, is who's the audience for that story? Well, you are. That's true. You're going to remember it. You're going to write it down. But the dream does not really manifest as a useful tool for you unless you tell it. Now, this is going to sound self-serving, and I don't mean it to be, but when people say to me, well, I don't remember my dreams, I say, you know what? Make an appointment with me for next week. What happens? All of a sudden, that part of you has an audience. Oh, wait, this guy's going to listen to a dream. Okay, right? It never fails. And there is a chapter in the book about who's the listener. Who do you choose as the listener for your dreams? That's important. You, you can't be choosing somebody who's got an agenda for you. We know this in coaching, right? It's like we don't have agendas with our clients. We just ask a whole bunch of questions. So you need to, if, you need to find somebody who you trust who will listen and ask you questions, who will, amp- who will be, in essence, your Anamkara, your coach, who will ask you to animate that dream. Because the listener's job, the coach's job, is not to tell you what it means. It's to get you to understand what the message is to you. So those two things, one is, what are you trying to remember? The second one is, it's very difficult. You you can do some work by yourself, and there's some stuff in the book about active imagination. But we're social beings, and telling our imaginative story to someone else is just gives it dimension. And to be a listener is is to give a gift, really. Is is and, and if you can find somebody who understands that, 
that what they're doing is giving you a gift by listening to this story and not trying to make sense of it. Can the individual who is listening to the story, can they continue to ask questions? Again, not to ask why, or but to just ask questions to create additional clarity? Yeah, usually it's, can you tell me more about that old lady in the black dress? Or there's a situation where you're lost and you feel okay about it. Does, does that remind you of anything in your life currently? Is that an experience you've had before, right? So it's those kinds of questions where you're, you're literally taking somebody into a dream. Now, one of the things I always do, there's sort of two two things that are kind of key to some of the some of the work that happens, which is I'm always interested in the character that they sort of blow by as they're telling me the dream, right? Not a significant person. I want to know who that is because they're not paying attention to that usually for a reason, because whatever that character is, is trying to say something. Not always, but that's one idea. And the other one is people, you read the literature a lot and they talk about dream fragments, you know, all I can remember is a sentence or all I can remember is, you know, breeze on my face. I, I would say to my clients, there's no such thing as a dream fragment. I mean, we can spend an hour on the breeze on your face. So those two things, don't edit, you know, don't don't decide what, what dream is more important. You know, if you have four and a client comes to me with four, I say, okay, which one has the most energy? That's where we'll start. We usually get to a second one because the second one usually is filling in some blanks. But the other one is that even the smallest experience that you have in your imagination can be very informative. And that's where you really have to have somebody to tell the dream to. Can you be in a position of telling the dream to a group of, uh, of, of listeners? Yeah. There's a guy named Monty Ullman who has a whole methodology around that. I've been in an own group. It's a little more structured than I particularly like, but and it's also got the sort of the rigidity of my, my term of kind of the analytic process. But one of the things that I have done, uh, and this is not fundamental to my practice, but I was asked to go do a workshop with a bunch of community organizers who were at odds with each other. I said, well, does anybody remember a dream? And somebody did, and they were brave enough to tell the dream. And we went around and asked open-ended questions, right? And then part of the Ullman method is you start a phrase saying, if this were my dream, because what you're doing by saying that is, I'm not telling you what it means. I'm telling you how it resonates with me, right? And so we went through that process, took about 20, 25 minutes. Well, what happens? You create an intimacy in that group because you're dealing with a very human experience and you're doing it without an agenda, right? Everybody's in it. Everybody's in the dream. And lo and behold, after we did that, the entire mood in the room changed. And all of a sudden, the agendas, it wasn't that they weren't important. It's just they had context now. It's like it wasn't, well, I'm right, you're wrong. It was more, well, this is what I think. This is where I'm coming from, right? So you can use a dream in a group to literally change the whole dynamic of the group, you know, as a technique. You look at you know, you look at the Sufis, telling the dream to the group is part of that whole religion. You look at Native Americans, I mean, telling the dream. And, and if you go back to even Lincoln, Lincoln famously dreamt of his own assassination a couple of weeks before it happened. But you look at Lincoln's letters and the letters of the time, people shared their dreams. It was literally a part of their lives. It's just we've got this left brain love affair going on where if we can't think about it, it doesn't mean anything, you know. Mm, right. And and that's how we get in a lot of trouble, I think. Sure. So with your work, and you've got the book, 
It's readily available. You've got your website, you know, willsharon.com. You've got a really nice library of YouTube videos. How are you continuing to grow your practice and what's next for someone that really wants to go deeper? This this topic resonates, they want to go deeper. What would be next for them? Well, I, I guess there are two things I would say. First of all, you know, if they really, if, if people are serious and they want to do that, there, there's sort of two ways. One is I don't charge for what I call a consultation. Some people call them sample sessions, but I don't is because I want people to understand what they're getting into. And I also want to know whether or not I can be of help. You know, there's only been one or two situations where I've thought this is not, this is not the right match here, but it's important. You know, I don't want to charge somebody to say, sorry, <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't sound right. The other thing is I teach a class. The next ones are coming up in September. They're on my website. It's a six-week class, and it really gets you into the whole process of how do you work with a dream as a coach, and what's what's the client's experience? Because we do the same thing in that class that you know we did when we all got certified, and a lot of workshops do, which is we pair up, and you pair up with somebody for six weeks. And the idea over the six weeks is, at the end of that time, the assignment is okay. What's your take on what your client's agenda is? What are the action items that you think are coming out of their dream? So it's very much tied into the coaching model. And it's very practical. Students have always taught me more than I think I've taught them. But one of them said to me early on, you know, you shouldn't do the lecture. And we have 90 minute classes, six 90 minutes. Shouldn't do the lecture in the class. You should record that so we can listen to it beforehand and use the 90 minutes to work. It was like, oh, duh, I knew that, which I didn't. <laughs> but that's, so there's, there's a lecture, there's a 90 minute class, and then there are assignments for you and your peer to work on during the week. So it's a, it's not a walk in the park. It's, a, it's an intense six weeks. And that, like I say, I have two coming up in September. One is for the United States and the other one is for the East Coast of the United States and Europe in terms of timing. So I think those are the two, the two things. One is, and I'm always happy to talk to people. I'm always happy to either, you know, email exchange or I can set up a time to talk to somebody for 10 minutes if they got a question. I mean, you know, when you're in this business, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I always say to people, I charge by the session, but I don't work by the session. It may be my downfall, but that's, who, that's the way it goes. So. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Well, before we head out, I mean, I do want to reconfirm some of the, the website and the social links, but a, a feature of our podcast, and one of the reasons why we call it Insight is we, we, lo- we love it when our guests provide an insight to go something that you would like to share with our audience it could be obviously go amazon barnes and noble pick up a copy of the book but something a little different of you know there's a lot going on in this world uh we've got elections the politics the black Lives matters movement we've got cross-country travels you're now setting up a, a new life in beautiful Santa Fe. Perhaps you read an article or heard a speech. What insight to go would you like to leave for our audience to kind of move them forward on their their journeys as well? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you sort of brought up what's going on in the world today because you're working with your dreams in the way we've been talking about. It will ground you in the sense of how you're going to navigate what's going on. There is from my perception, absolutely nothing in the world that we live in that is stable right now, that is the way we thought it was. 
right? Everything is up for grabs. And one of the things you can do is you can get very wrapped up into, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? All this external stuff. But your dreams will inform you what your role is. And that may be getting involved. That may be, you know, I don't know, planting a community garden. I have no idea what it is. But you're absolutely right. It's connected. It's very connected to where we are now in terms of working with dreams. It's not some esoteric kind of, you know, sit in your dark room and educate yourself. No, there's no point in that. We're in this together. We're all in this. So I I think the ideas that I'm trying to talk about, I think coaching in general is really about, okay, understand who you are. When you understand who you are, you're not making decisions. Things become obvious to you. And so that's the idea that I would want to leave people with is that when it feels obvious, it's right. When you're trying to figure something out, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Very good. Thank you. Well, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, let's uh, do a second pass. And where's the best places for them to go? Uh, I would say my YouTube channel will really give them, you know, I mean, the just click on a title that seems interesting to you. That's Will Sharon. You look up me up on YouTube. I'm the only Will Sharon there is, I'm pretty sure. And then in every YouTube, there's my web link to my website. There's a way to get in touch with me. As I say, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely provide uh, the backlinks to your YouTube channel, uh, as well as your website and also the links to the book uh, on Amazon. We really appreciate you taking time out of your beautiful day. I think uh, this podcast was what stood between us and the weekend. So I, I appreciate you helping guide us into this wonderful weekend wherever we're at. Great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Fantastic. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Will Sharon. He is former C-suite executive, teacher, counselor, actor, and he is a highly successful life and executive coach and the author of the new book, Dreaming in the 21st Century, an ancient experience in a new context. So do go out to his website, willsharon.com, as well as the YouTube page. And we'll, of course, provide the backlinks to those uh, sites as well. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Podcast, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be safe, practice social distancing, take care of yourselves, take care of your family, and also be aware of the community. This We're all in this together, and we have to get through this together as well. And hey, start tuning in, becoming more aware of those dreams, and we can see then see where those dreams lead you to, hopefully in a place that is of your choosing. So again, folks, take care of yourselves and we'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. But do remember when you come visit us, successinsightpodcast.com. We are on Facebook and LinkedIn, also on, on YouTube, as well as the the podcast sites, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Just type in Success Insight Podcast and you will find us because we want to know what you think about our library of podcasts and about this very episode. Do let us know. Okay, folks, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we will see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.